The following shiur has been presented by Rabbi Yehoshua Sova, Rabbi of Kehillat Shari Ezra, Miami Beach, Florida. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Esrat Hashem, we will be discussing this week's parasha, Parashat Vayeshev. We know that when the Shvatim wanted to sell their brother into slavery, part of the ruse that they used to trick their father Yaakov that Yosef was away from them permanently was they took the Ketone Pasim and they took Esirizim, they took a goat, Badam, and they dipped the Ketone Pasim into a pan of blood. And they brought it to Yaakov and says, Hakana et Ketonet Bincha, do you now recognize the coat of your son? Presumably they didn't say anything. They wanted him to make an inference that obviously, like Yaakov said, that a wild animal ate him. And Yaakov went into Avelut for that. The question is, why did the brothers see to it that it had to be specifically that they were it could have been that the ketonet got shredded to pieces. They could have brought a piece, and it sounds like they didn't have anything except for this ketonet pasim. They should have brought some other remnant, or you want to say they did kvura or something. Why was it that specifically that it had to be so graphic and gory, dafka with them? So we wanted to say a possible reason for that is that Jews by nature are very sensitive to blood, whether it's shvichat damim, whether it's actual murder, or it is or let's say making someone lose the color of their face by being embarrassed. Also, that's a serious undertaking. And as well as if a person, let's say, has any form of blood that could uh, come to contact with our food, we obviously are not going to be eating that because it's a sur for us to have that, let's say, in our meat or our chicken. So what we want to say is that when the Shvatim wanted to make it as as, as as popping out as possible to Yaakov that this is so against what Judaism is about, they dafkas dipped it into blood to show that this blood represents this idea of completely the opposite. Yosef HaTzadik is not a real tzadik. He had the Ketone HaPasim and it was ripped apart from him. And this same Ketone HaPasim that gave you Brecha from your father Yitzchak was not able to protect Yosef. He's a real Rodef. And therefore, as a result of that, they specifically had it in blood to show that he was not the chosen one, that he actually brought it to something that would be a, a liability for him, not something that would protect him. What you see from here is that when it comes to blood, we have to be very vigilant to make sure that there's no blood whatsoever that we're a part of, or that we partake of in eating. There's a very fascinating discussion, and I, I'm very much my kirito to my good friend, Rebuti Spitz, who has a fantastic sefer in English from Mosaic Press called Sefer Yonim Ba'alachai Halchot Amazon, where he talks about food and the different she'elot that are relevant to that. So in chapter 13, he talks about the whole discussion of if a person, first of all, has salt on the table, why is that? Because it has to be domela mezbeach. And not only that, but salt has the property that just like it cleansed the korban, that we know korban not have to be from basar, it had to be from meat. And the only way you can eat meat is by salting it to absorb and take off the blood. So therefore, we also have a remnant of that by having on our table this element of that our 
Shulchan is Domela Mizbeach. And also, besides that, we also have the Melech, we have the salt on our table, corresponding to the salt that they had in the Beit HaMikdash as well, Gabayah Mizbeach too. And he says not only that, he says that Rabbeinu Bache says on the mitzvah where it says, Bamelech Timlach, you shall salt it with salt. Obviously, what else are you going to do that? Rabbeinu Bache says that this, the reason why it says it twice to tell you that when you're going to be salting the animal, you shouldn't use it with very fine salt, like what we would call table salt, because that's too fine. And using it with rock salt, which is very big clumps of earth that are very salty, that also wouldn't be, because it wouldn't get all the cracks and crevices. You have to have sort of in-between, which is what we would call kosher salt. So kosher salt is what they would use for koshering the animals. And he says, however, in a pinch, obviously, if a person, they have to, for whatever reason, use table salt, they could. So he discusses a, a fascinating different ideas of when it comes to salting and how we have to stay so far away from blood, there's a very big discussion about, first of all, how long does the salting process have to be? So, Marab Bet Yosef seems to say, Shir Melicha. Shir Melicha, they say, is a very uh, very cute way of, of knowing that, is Melach is also the same, the same gematria as Mil, which is a roughly 20 minutes. And Marab Bet Yosef says that the Shir from Melach to properly run off all the blood would be 20 minutes to have it be sitting there. However, the Ramah is machmir, and he says, you need to make sure it is at least an hour. And uh, obviously, after 72 minutes, when the shkita is done, that's when they start to wash it, then they salt it, they cake it in salt, and they leave it there, either for the 20 minutes, or the, seven, uh, or the, or the hour time, that is there for it to be sitting there and salting. It's uh, an amazing thing. The Gemara tells us in Chulin that, that because the salt is working hard to extract all the blood, it itself is not going to absorb and re-put back into the meat that what it took out. Because otherwise, it's like a revolving door that just keeps endlessly going round and round and round. Rather, we say that no, it comes, takes out, and spits it out, and it, it like is like sort of a protective barrier and shield to prevent any of the dam that just came out to go back onto the meat. Because you could say the same way it's motzi, the dam from the basar out, it could also pull it right back and throw it back, right back in. So we don't say that because adid in the mivlat, the Gemara says that since it's busy working to take out, it has no time to be bolea. And they say rebellious fezatzal, when he came to be maspit, his chaver, his friend, Rabbi Mordechai Shapiro of Beth Israel, Miami Beach, who was known to be a tremendous matmid and a big tamechacham, he said that Miami Beach was not mashpia on Rabbi Shapiro because he was like salt on the basad that he was that since he was so busy pulling out and shiurim and chizuk and Torah and mitzvot masim tovim he was busy doing that he had no time for any shenanigans and therefore as a result of that he was not muvla from the uh, outside sources that Chassam could have been mashpia on him in an improper way and. The Sefer goes into talking about, does this same idea of dam being extracted from the meat, again, we're trying to say that we don't want it as much as possible, does that also apply for something, let's say, like for the process of sugar? Many years ago, sugar was actually termed Indian salt. It had the term Indian salt. Like the Gemara and Sukkah tells us that when you have Shem Levoy, when you have a name attached to another item, Although it could technically have that name, it not necessarily has the same properties of that. Uh, for example, you'll have, let's say, alfalfa sprouts and then Brussels sprouts. Even though they're both sprouts, but they're two different 
they're two different genres of, of a type of a sprout, even though they are sprouts, but they're, they're, they taste totally differently. They're different. Uh, you have aravot, and then you have arve nachal, and then let's you have, uh, uh, let's say, arve mitri. So it's Egyptian arav, aravot. So is that the same thing or not? So you see that sometimes when something has a different name, it could actually change the entire premise of what that item is. So sugar, for example, was called Indian salt. So the question is, are you allowed to use that or not? So Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz, in his Shelo Duchuvot, Halokha Kitanot, he brings down that you could use sugar, even though sugar is normally sweet, since sugar also can be used as a preservative, it has the element of just like salt, which is that it is going to stay salty. And like we find with Arona Kohen, they had what's called Brit Melach Olam. And the Mepharshim say, why is it called Brit Melach Olam? To tell you, just like the Brit Melach stays forever, meaning salt doesn't spoil, so too the Brit that he had was the Olam, it was forever, meaning that salt is a preservative. If you look at a lot of ancient relics that they have, many of them are, were caked in salt to preserve the item to make sure that it stayed for a long time. So sugar also could be like that as well. Uh, Daniel Terani, who was the chief rabbi of Florence, Italy, and uh, author of the Sefer Ekre Hadat, he says that because it was called Indian salt, that's a proof that it has the same basic premise of salt, which is as a preservative, and there, it would, therefore it would be allowed. Uh, the Avne Nezer, he brings down that the the Chavodat, the Nitivot HaMishpot, Rabbi Yaakov Loberbam, he himself once used sugar to salt his meat. And uh, the Rabbanim of Yerushalayim in the 1800s, they also said that, some people argue that was only Bishat Atchak, when it was people literally dying from poverty and from and from and nothing to eat. So if they had something that was something of a preservative, that would be allowed. Rabbi Shmuel Salant famously allowed, there was a wedding, that the only meat that they had was meat that was sugary, and because they had no salt at that time in Yilad, that some people said again, that was because of the rampant poverty that was prevalent in Yerushalayim at that time. That's why Shatat Chak, so you can't say that to other places. On the other hand, many people argue about this and say that salting is what the Torah tells us, nothing else. It can't be anything else used as a preservative. Salt is the best way to be motzeh adam, and we want to stay as far away from dam as possible. And many other achronim, who addressed this are the Divrei Chayim, the Marashak, the Ktav Sofer, the Shon Meshiv, the Ben Ishchai, that say it's asur to use sugar as a substitute. And Rabbi Yosachayim Zanufel, Rabbi Tzim Chai Uziel, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, the Anmor Miklosenberg, Rabbi Shmuel Vozner, the Tzitz Eliezer, who said that, supposedly Rabbi Tzim Pesach Frank, Rabbi Yerushalayim, who said that you could do salt meat with sugar, said it's Edut Sheker. And Chamavadia write very strongly against people using salt as an option to, uh, using sugar, excuse me, as an option to salt their meat because it does not do the same, true, it, it, it has a preservative aspect, but we don't say it actually has that element of being motziyat adam to pull out that dam that could be inside and that would be a problem. We find that in Melchemet uh, Atzma'ut, in the 1948 Israeli Independence War, a lot of Jews were cut off from their supply lines and they also had no other viable alternative, so they also had to force they were forced to be, uh, rely upon sugar to salt and preserve their meat. So even though nowadays most of our chicken and meat are, are generally pre-salted anyways, we understand that having the salt, or at least having the sugar on our table, reminds us of the korbanot as well, and reminds us of this element too. So therefore, my friend wanted to say is that this element of having this item on your table 
harkens back to the reason why you have in the Beit HaMikdash, you have the Mishkan, you have this element of having some form of salt, again, as a preservative, or to be motzi the dam from the meat, this idea as well would be okay. Now, he adds a very fascinating discussion that they say that when it comes to salt being in place of sugar, we just said that some people said that you could use the salt, the quote-unquote the salt substitute, which is now known as sugar, and place the salt at the at the shulchan at the table while you're eating to remind us of the the korbanot that had the salt as well. The Ben Ishchai in his Shelotu Tshuva Torah he says that you could use sugar as a salt for dipping. However, the Kafachayim argues on that and says, what are we talking about? Dipping for hamotzi. In other words, if all you have in your table is some sugar, just like you use as a zecher for having it on the table, for remembrance of Bamelech Timlach. So the same thing also, we would say that the sugar could also be dipped after a person makes hamotzi, they could dip their bread in there. Now, many people don't like that because they say, the only reason why we dipped bread into salt was because the salt served as a way for us to have some taste on the bread. But Baruch Hashem, we have what's called patnikia, which is we have very pure bread. We have bread which is very tasty in its own right. And there's also a lot of elements in there that gives it a taste. So, you don't need to actually dip it in salt. But for those that want to be machmir, they do. They say, you should dip three times. And uh, the point is that it has some type of Kabbalistic influence of that. So therefore, we try to maintain that as well. And if a person wants to do that and they don't have any salt, they can use the sugar in its stead. However, the Kafa Chaim argues on that and says that it actually would be better if you don't have any salt to take your bread from Omotzi and to dip it on another slice of bread. Why? Because the word Melach, salt, is the same Otiot, the same letters as Lechem, of bread. To say that either you have melach, you have the melach, the timlach, you'll salt it with melach with salt, or not melach, rather lechem with bread, you could do that as well. He says the only time that we would say you could dip into sugar is only one or twice twice a year, which is on Rosh Hashanah, and that is to be mamtiket adinim, to sweeten a person's judgment during the time of Rosh Hashanah, and therefore they could have the sugar on the table to be used in substitute for the salt. Now, people don't know this, but everyone knows that you dip the challah or the apple in the honey for Rosh Hashanah, and uh, that's we have a, a very sweet and uh, good, a good and sweet year. And the Ben Ishchai was of the opinion that you don't use honey, rather you use sugar. And there are certain people that follow the minhagim of the Ben Ishchai, they would follow this as well. And we believe an explanation for that is based on the following. A question that we always had was, how could it be that on Rosh Hashanah, the holiest day of the year, you're eating from devash tvorim, you're eating from devash of that of bees, which are mincheret, uh, they're, they're, they're tameh, there's something that normally you're not allowed to eat, and we have a rule that the Gemara Kulin tells us, kol that if you were to take an item and have an animal consume it, and that animal by its own, it, by, by itself, is completely non-kasher, whatever is extracted from that animal afterwards, even if it still retains its texture or flavor or taste, now that it came through the system of this animal, and now became tameh as well. So for example, there's a world famous coffee, it's actually the most expensive coffee in the world, it's called Kapi Luwak, and Kapi Luwak is, I believe it's around like 50 or $70 a cup, 
and uh, a bag of the granules are very, very expensive. And the reason for that is they take the coffee beans and they give it to a certain animal called a civet. The civet chews the coffee grains whole. He chews it a little bit and then swallows it whole. And after it going through a gestational period through the civet, it extracts it through the other side of the body. And they take that those granules of this, this uh, coffee and they clean it up a little. And then after they clean it up, they grind it up, they turn it into powder. And it supposedly has a splendid taste. People who have tasted it said it tastes like drinking water, whatever that means. It has a very bland taste. And a lot of people don't really know what the craze is about. But the fact is, it's a unique type of flavor of coffee. And obviously, that coffee is not kosher. And the reason why it's not kosher, because a civet is a non-kosher species. And because it ate it, and although technically it's still a coffee granule, what happened is nothing changed. And so it did change, because it was nishtane, it got changed by the fact that an animal who was tame ate it, and now extract it was extracted from the animal. That animal, after it went to the bathroom, now made it that it's not kosher as well. So getting back to dvorim, these, 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 uh, these bees that are producing honey, it should be asur. How are we allowed to partake of that? So says Gemara and Shabbat that it looks like it is coming from the bee, but in actuality, it's not. It's putting it in a pouch, and then that pouch, he takes it out and spits it into the honeycomb, and it's, it takes all that pollen, and through that, he, it's not produced through the bee, rather it's produced by the bee to make it a byproduct of the, of the bee chewing on the pollen and bringing it to the hive to be processed. So you see that the bee, although it, quote-unquote, made the honey, it did not actually swallow it and make it non-kasher. So we wanted to say, the reason why possibly we have devash tvorim, some people have that at their table on a shana, is we say, there are things that we do during the year that looks like it's, it looks like it's tameh, it's not good. But you have to know, really, every Jew wants to do it, it's on Hashem, they want to do the right thing, and we may have chewed up different items, and it looks like it's tameh. And it's coming from a tameh source, but we say, please forgive us, let's have a good year. We're dipping our items in the honey to show it's a sweet year. It's really us coming closer to you, and it's not like what it seems, and therefore we should be granted and have So that's only if you say it's it is from that of a bee. But if you say it's sugar, sugar is a straight up byproduct, it come, grows from the ground, and there's no issue with it whatsoever. So we believe that Ben Ishchai is trying to say is that you have to maintain that you have a high standard throughout the year and HaKadosh Baruch demands that of us. And we dip our items in sugar to show that just like it started off right, it ended off right, we also want to start off right, end off right. We want to have this year, not even a question of us doubting where it is, where we're coming from, and if we're going to continue serving HaKadosh Baruch or not. Rather, it's from the beginning to the get-go, all the way through the end, we want it to be completely pure. So again, we discussed this idea of dam, of being something that is very abhorrent to a Jew, that when they see it, it makes it very, very graphic and very gory, and it makes an impression. And that's what the Shvatim possibly wanted to do. They specifically put it in dam to make it pop out and to make it more graphic and more gory and make the scene uh, more tragic that Yaakov didn't even think to ask like what would happen, because just seeing the dam would already made him cringe, and we see how far we have to be when it comes to staying away from blood, blood having a complete aversion to that in all ways. We said having salt uh, on our meat is a way of going, doing that. I did the in the Mifla, Mifla, that when it's always being motzi the dam, it's never going back in. 
And we have to recognize that that's what salt is. Bamelech Timlach, Erevin Abachia says, is, it has to be kosher salt. It's an in-between salt that gets into all the area, the surface areas and does a fine job being motzi, the dam. And we said the idea of not only dam has to be used for salting meat, but also as a zecher for the melech that was done, that was sprinkled on the mizbeach, and we know shulchan dom on the mizbeach, and therefore also over here, we would say that it has to be in the, on the table as well, to remind us of that, and if you don't have salt, you could use sugar as a substitute, but it's only for that. We discussed the idea of, some people say, the Torah Deshma says, that you can use sugar for a salt, as a salt substitute dipping, that if you want to dip inside and you have no salt, use that for sugar. We talked about salting meat, if a meat that could be salted is using sugar, is that okay? If that's allowed, they say that that was only allowed. Some people say, no, it is allowed. It's a preservative. And the idea, getting back to, I, I forgot to mention, the Torah Lishma, which says, if you could dip the bread, dip it in sugar as opposed to nothing else. And we said from the Kafa Chaim that says, no, you dip it in bread itself. Melach or Lechem or Sem Otiyot. And therefore you could have both of them. And we discussed the idea of when a person does that, they're mamtik et adinim, they sweeten the judgment against them on the su'udah when they're eating. And also we discussed the idea of the ben that said, on Rosh he was makbid not to have dash tvorim, like we were saying, it has to be pure from the get-go, just like something from sugar cane, it's pure from the beginning and all the way to the end. And we say, HaKadosh Baruch we should have that for a year also as well, that it should be a sweet year. And also, again, the idea of that it's a preservative, it takes a little bit of the blood, and again, the idea is that anything that has to do with blood, we as Jews stay very, very far away from. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a Halakha consultation, monetary Bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at thehc.org to subscribe.